Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians, where Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have learned while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. On today's episode, we speak to the frugal physician. She's an internal medicine physician that gave up the life of luxury because all that stuff was actually making her life worse. The stress of paying bills, not paying down debt, led her to downsize, not in the Matt Damon sense, and life actually got better. We talk about why physicians tend to live up to the expectations of others in terms of material goods, getting the house a physician should own, the car a physician should drive, rather than living up to their own expectations, and what are the most effective ways to be more frugal? How do you get on the same page with your partner? And after all this talk of giving up material goods, why you should buy the Instapot. Welcome back to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. On today's podcast, we have the frugal physician, an internal medicine physician in upstate New York. The key to how she became the frugal physician is in her origin story. So if you would please introduce yourself and uh, tell us how you became the frugal physician. Hey, thanks for having me on here. I really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I was a just a regular old primary care doc, um, actually internal medicine hospitalist initially. Uh, I did the usual thing, went to med school and uh, took out a bunch of loans and then went to residency. And uh, initially I uh, planned on doing public service loan forgiveness, but like many people that actually got into that um, plan, um, I didn't I don't, I don't think I did the paperwork right. So anyway, by the end of residency, I had decided not to, uh, to pursue that anymore um, and decided to take a uh, job as an attending in a private company and uh, found myself uh, stuck with my huge amount of student loan and a house loan, actually two house loans. <laughs> and uh, then I became a mom um, and had to take a uh, maternity leave. And all of that kind of added up to me finding myself in a situation that I didn't want to be in anymore. Um, and we decided to make some major changes and uh, ended up making huge life changes. We actually ended up paying um, $100,000 in student loans in about six months after we made some of these changes. So uh, I really felt like we kind of found something important uh, for medical students and residents. So I kind of wanted to share that. And so that's why I started blogging at The Frugal Physician. <laughs> and, and I appreciate that so much because um, with, with some of my friends and colleagues, I find that, that they, even with significant incomes, some of them live paycheck to paycheck. And there, there are a lot of resources out there for us physicians, Passive Income MD, the White Coat Investor that talk about the importance of investing wisely, but you can't even get to that step if you're spending all your money and not doing any savings. So I think before you even get to exploring those, you need to visit thefrugalphysician.com. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, people get, that's, that's kind of where we were. We, um, 
upgraded our lifestyle. You know, I was so ready to have it all once we got um, once we got uh, done with residency. Rather, once I got done with residency, um, my husband was in the army initially, um, but he decided to get out, and we decided to move to the beach and have it all. And we bought a big house and. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, and it had, uh, bought a new car actually around that time too. And, uh, we found ourselves, uh, three fourths of a million dollars in debt. If you can believe that, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Well, I do know how that happened. I had $237,000 in student loans, um, even after making payments in residency. Um, and I had about 335 in house loan, um, 40,000 in car loans and 130,000 for a rental uh, property that we had. Um, so three, three fourths of a million dollars in debt. And so uh, you had mentioned that before you said uh, you had two houses. So yes. you just finished residency and had already accumulated two houses. How does that right. happen? I know. So, well, in residency, I bought a house. I did what Jim Dolly says, don't do. Um, and uh, we actually, but we were kind of responsible in that we uh, only used my husband's income for the financing of it. Uh, he was the one that took out a VA loan um, because he's in the army. So uh, we did buy a small house that actually makes a good rental now. Um, it didn't make sense to sell it because it was bringing in good rental income. Um, or uh, at that point, we wanted to make it a rental. So, um, so that's why we kept that. And in some ways, I think that makes sense. Some might argue that in buying a house for residency or an apartment, you know, whatever the case may be, you you do a significant amount of research before you buy it, right? Right, right. And so, you know, there are inefficiencies in the real estate market. And so you might have been able to capitalize on and find what you thought at the time was the best deal around, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't have bought that. And that is, if you're buying an investment property later on, you're probably not doing as much research for an investment property as you would have for the home that you're going to be living in throughout your residency. So I, th I think there are some advantages to, if you have the means to buying a home during residency um, and then keeping it as an investment property. Yeah, it turned out to be a good uh good buy because it's um it has uh almost tripled in value um in the last 4 years, 4 or 5 years. Um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just we bought in a in a gentrifying neighborhood. Um it wasn't a place where but it but it's a fabulous place and I love it so much uh, and and it's getting the attention it deserves now and everybody wants to move there so it's uh it's a good place and we plan to keep it around for a long time but moving away from all these decisions that I made to get us in debt or we made to get us in debt um I found that you know everybody told us we were doing great we um paid everything on time we didn't have any credit card debt but we were spending almost exactly what we were bringing in every month. We were really walking a very fine line and bringing in a significant attending income. We were still living paycheck to paycheck. And that was an eye-opening thing. I mean, 
even as a primary care physician or a hospitalist, you know, uh, people whine about how much, how little money we make, but we make a lot of money. I mean, the average, average, what's the average U.S. salary, like in the 50,000s, right? I mean, the yeah. average primary care physician makes, you know, 180 to $200,000. That's not, that's not a little amount of money. We should be able to be perfectly happy with that. Um, but I think we set us, set, set each other up, um, or set ourselves up in our mind to live this expectation of, you know, that we have to be this high rolling Lexus driving, you know, doctor. And if we're not, then we're not worth our salt, (laughs) you know, and this is, and that's what, that's what society sells to us. And that's what, um, that's what everybody tells us we should be. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to, um, that's what I discovered is what we, when we, when we went through this journey, when we were so stretched, we were so unhappy because we had everything. We had the big house, we had the cars, um, but we were financially insecure. We had no investments. Our, our net worth was very negative as well, like negative $170,000. Um, and that didn't feel good. And so we said, you know, we got to do something. We've got to make a change, especially when I got pregnant and had to take unpaid maternity leave. Um, and then uh, I wrote a post about how how that really messes up your finances, uh, especially when you work in a private on a, for a private company. Um, that uh, that was kind of the turning point. I decided. I remember I was uh, sewing a cover for my couch because I didn't want to buy one, <laughs> and I was listening to Jim Dolly's book and, on audiobook, and I said, "This has to change, and we have to do something." And I said. I went to my husband. I was like, "How about we start a dead snowball <laughs> and you know try to try to change our situation somehow?" So we both sat down and um, started off with just kind of listing what we were spending, and that's actually really hard to do um, to go through your account and be like, "Okay, this is what we spent on food, and this is what we spent on you know gas." Um, and uh, thankfully, there are a, a lot of uh, good resources out there now to uh, help you with that. Um, there are several apps like Every Dollar or YNAB. Um, but and actually, the the bank that we use, USAA, actually does uh, uh, break down the um, kind of in a budget format uh, all your spending. So that's what we do, and we just transfer that to a spreadsheet. Um, and we just started to go through our big line items of where our money was going, and that was. And, you know, that's that unsexy word that I <laughs> don't want to say, but we came up with a budget. And, uh, and really all that is, is you're just taking an account of what's happening with your money. That's all. Um, and we decided to put a certain amount towards our snowball. So initially we started paying off one car, this, our smallest loan. Um, once that was paid off, we paid off the second car and there was a little bit of a, uh, drama there because we got in a car wreck and we had to replace the car. But in any case, um, and then once and we these got things will happen. And if you're living from paycheck to paycheck, then that puts a lot of stress on you and the marriage and the family. And, and it leads to a lot of unhappiness. Exactly. Yeah. The car that you bought was going to make you happy. And in fact, it just it does doesn't. The yeah, it just doesn't. It's not there. I know it's like, it's the, everybody talks about that. Um, 
all the older people that you talk to, all the wise people will tell you, you know, happiness is not in stuff. Yet somehow we all keep seeking that out. (laughs) And I don't understand why. Uh, It's the expectations, I think, that we're trying to live up to. But you mentioned that before, and I just want to want to explore that a little more. Um, that it's the the external expectation. Um, you know, we talk about f- we have free will, right? Right. We can make our own decisions to do what we want to do, but at the same time, these external pressures are influencing your decision making. So it's really not as free as you think it is. We we have all these external pressures that that cause us to make these decisions. I did the same thing. I finished residency. I spoke to my friends about that know about cars, about what kind of car I should get. I ended up getting, I was single at the time, so I didn't need mm-hmm. anyone to, to I, there's no room for, no need for car seats or anything like that. I got an infinity coupe, right? <laughs> but I also lived, I lived in Manhattan at the time, but I worked on Long Island and I surf. Oh, So I wanted to be able to surf and I didn't think you know what? It might be a little more reasonable to get a sedan and I could put a surf rack. They don't make surf racks for coupe, <laughs> but but like this was the sports car that these knucklehead friends of mine told me that I should get because that's a doctor's car, right? Right? What should I have gotten? I you know I don't know maybe the Volkswagen uh, mini bus or something like that. <laughs> but, but right, it was those in, uh, external influences that ended up making me less happy. So I had these, you know, significant car payments for a car that I didn't even like because I wasn't able to do the stuff that I wanted to do. Yeah. Why? Because someone else told me. And yeah, and don't let me get my on my high horse. There's nothing wrong with a coupe, you know, there's nothing wrong with a nice car. Um, and some for some people it makes them really happy. But the the problem is when you when you finance out your entire lifestyle and you pay for that as you go you have no room left to pay yourself. And that's the problem. When you don't have any room in your budget to, to make savings, that's when stuff becomes a problem. There is, uh, and, you know, and, and once, um, once uh, you were financially secure uh, and had a significant amount of savings, sure, Coop would have been a perfectly fine idea, right? <laughs> I mean, despite, uh, other than not being able to put a surfboard on it. Yeah. <laughs> But to that same token, I think, like what you said earlier about stuff doesn't make us happier, and and a car is a big ticket item. Right. So, you know, how much is this car really like this fancy car versus a, a more reasonably priced car really making you happy? Right. Um, or does it just become you after a while your new normal, and it actually just doesn't make you any more happy? It still costs you the same amount of money, but it's not making you as happy when you get used to it as it did when you first got it. And you know, that's the key. It's the, what you get used to is exactly what I found was the, the biggest driver in savings actually. So the, the biggest things that make a, make a difference in our savings rate is not the stuff that we do occasionally. It's the stuff that we get used to. Like a nice car, after a while, it loses its luster and it's just something you drive to work. Well. With what if that's something that you drove to work wasn't in, you know the top of the line car, um, but it got you from point A to point B. You don't notice it, but you're saving money every single day because that becomes a habit or that's that's your new normal. And 
same thing um, with cooking, for example. Uh, I uh, wrote a post on batch cooking and how that saved us a lot of money um, because in the the one change that we I, we decided to make was let's not buy stuff at work. You know, let's not go to work and buy lunch and then buy snacks and then buy coffee. Um, how about we take that average ten dollars a day and just save that? And in order to make that happen, I cook a bunch of food on Sunday and I save it in our fridge. Um, and we just grab a container and head out to work um, and take a few snacks with us. Um, and that $10 a day, five days a week, 52 weeks in a year saves us $2,600 a year, which doesn't feel like that big of a deal anymore. You know, that's just our new normal. But that $2,600 a year invested over a 30 year working career. Um, with compounded interest yields $260,000 in savings. In addition to all of the co-pays and medications fees that you're going to avoid because you've now cooked for yourself. <laughs> so inevitably what you're going to cook is healthier and so you're avoiding getting the metabolic syndrome. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. I'm putting myself out of business. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. You make yourself healthier. Um, I I usually eat while I'm working, uh, while I'm charting, so that I don't really get super hungry, which is great. And then I can use my lunch break to actually go outside or work out. Um, it just makes my life so much better. That small change that became a habit became this huge driving force in us saving money and being happier. Um, and it doesn't feel like a burden. And that was really kind of my limiting thought, you know, initially. I, when I was a resident, I um, didn't have much of an income, but I spent all this money uh, on eating lunch and going out and stuff still. Um, and uh, I didn't realize where that money was going. But now that I cook and, and I don't spend that money, it just, it, it makes me happier. It's insane that it makes me happier, but it does, you know? Well, it sounds like it's just, it's fulfilling. Yes, it is. Right? Yeah. It's not, it's, you know, like you said, you get used to driving the car, uh, the, the car, whether it's the nicer car or the not so nice car or the less nice car. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, making those payments on your loans or, you know, filling your 401k or buying your first rental property I don't think that satisfaction ever gets old. Right. What I, it, it, that satisfaction of seeing the number tick down is insane. Like it's so fun. We, um, uh, I made this, uh, this uh, jar of macaronis um, to visually depict our loan, my loan. And, uh, and I, and I, <laughs> I know I was like, how, because when you're making payments on these student loans, it feels like, it doesn't go anywhere. Like the principle does not come down. Right. I mean, it just seems to be there like forever. So I wanted to kind of visually see some change. I didn't think it would be that huge, uh, over a small amount of time, but just have, we have this jar of macaronis on top of this, uh, cabinet that's very visible in my living room and I see it every day. <laughs> and, so what uh, does one macaroni represent? Uh, one macaroni is a thousand dollars of loan, mm. and so I put put in there enough macaronis to cover the loan principal and also the expected amount of uh, uh, interest that I was I was going to pay 
on this loan if I took the seven years. So I refinanced in January with uh, SoFi and I um, refinanced $208,000. And so I put in that plus the expected amount of interest I was supposed to pay. Um, And so we, every month we take out the macaronis that we paid and my, my son loves doing it. (laughs) In fact, he begged me yesterday, even though it's not loan payment day yet, um, he begged me to take out the macaronis for this month's uh, payment. So <laughs> <laughs> it's an, it's a valuable lesson for him. It is. He, it's satisfying to him that uh, you're repaying the. It is. Yeah, we make it a big deal. We cheer and stuff, you know. And it's funny because like he's three years old, by the way. And uh, and we, we were like running the other day, and he sees a house and he goes, "Mommy, I like that house." It's like, yeah, you know, that's a nice house. He goes, "How about we buy that house once our macaronis are done?" <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I was like, did you just say that? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. He gets it. Yeah, he gets it. So anyway, we started off in January at $208,000. And this month in October, we're going to be at eighty five. dollars Can wow. you believe that? Yeah, we, we made a hundred and what? Uh, 35, right? I'm doing the math. Yeah. Thousand dollars of payment this year already. It's insane. (laughs) I don't know how that's. I mean, I know how that's happening, but it's it's insane to see it move that much. And all it took was just making it a priority. And well, then we made some huge changes too. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about that, right? Yeah. So let's talk about we we talked about the car. We talked about the food. Mm -hmm. But there was one big change that ended up making a, a a huge difference in your life in your in your repayment. Right, right. And this was like the biggest thing. So you know how everybody tells you live like a resident, um, or at least Jim Dolly tells you live like a resident uh, for another couple of years after uh, after you graduate, and then you can pay off your debt really fast. Um, well, you know, I read this, I read his book um, uh, two years after I'd already been attending and inflated a lifestyle. And uh, my husband and I talked about it. And uh, we went through some big decisions and we said, okay, so first of all, we wanted to move because of several different reasons, but he wanted to go back to his um, hometown uh, in upstate New York. And so we said, okay, we're going to move. And what are we going to do when we get there? And thankfully, um, I post this question to this really smart group of females on on Facebook, um, uh, Physician Women Finance, and uh, everybody there, and there's, I'm so grateful for them because they, I've actually run most of this, these decisions decisions by them, and they've guided me correctly. Um, that you know, they basically said rent when you get there, and and figure out where you want to live. Um, and so that's what we did. We rented and we rented a small house. So we basically ended up deflating our lifestyle from the attending, uh, attending lifestyle to a resident lifestyle, um, which initially when we thought about it, when we were looking at houses, it was a little depressing to <laughs> you know look at these small houses when we were used to living in big one. But, th- but that was the most painful part, honestly. Because once we got there, we moved into the smaller house, um, unpacked. The house was right next to the hospital. I could walk there. Um, there was a backyard and a basement. Like we had everything we needed. And honestly, not a huge difference. Not a huge difference in our life at all. Um, my, in fact, my happiness was 
a lot higher. <laughs> I had less to clean, less to maintain, um, and it was a rental, so that we didn't ha- we didn't have a bunch of unexpected expenses. Which uh, when we had when we owned the house down south, which is where we moved from, um, that house you know had hurricane damage every year. Uh, so it actually turned out to be really good for us. Um, so we deflated our lifestyle. And that was the big thing, you know, mortgage or rent is such a huge ticket item. Um, if you can cut that down, you really can make huge, huge, huge progress. And what I really wanted to get out there was it's never too late. You know, if you're willing to make a change and take that little bit of a, um, I don't know, ego hit and, uh, and deflate just for a little bit, you can get these loans paid off really, really fast. And, and that makes such a huge difference. I think a lot of physician burnout is feeling like they're stuck, you know, feeling like they're stuck with this huge mortgage and a huge loan payment. And there's no other job we can do that can really make us, let us afford all of that. Would you agree, Bradley? Well, I, I think one issue, thankfully, your house didn't depreciate. Mm. Right. True. So if your house had depreciated, like if you had bought it in 2005, mm-hmm. we're trying to sell it in 2009. Yeah. I think that would have been, <laughs> you're kind of stuck. Right. right. I think there are situations in which it would be much more challenging yes. to, 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 to get yourself out of that situation. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, you were able to to leave that situation without such a major financial hit. Now, certainly there are things like closing costs and that you just have to, just have to eat it. Right. But right. in your situation, it sounds like your biggest barrier was, was mental. And once you were able to get past that idea of having to give away this lifestyle that you thought you were giving up, right. Um, that actually moving in, you're fine. It wasn't, as painful or as uncomfortable in any mean that you thought it was going to be. It was just the idea in your head. Right. That was the problem. That was the limiting thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's once we deflated, honestly, we actually had a small rental next to the hospital and then I changed to primary care. We actually ended up not inflating, not buying. We were like, we're making such great progress on the loans. We wanted to just keep renting um, so that, we didn't have unexpected costs, and um, we found actually a cheaper house. But uh, um, and uh, we moved there, so that's where we are now. And seriously, like as far as as far as happiness goes, we're pretty pretty uh, you know at peak right now, <laughs> uh, historically speaking. For me, you know, it's it's the big ticket items: the house and the cars. Um, and then the daily habits, the the spending habits that you do thoughtlessly throughout your throughout the day that don't actually add anything to your life or your the quality of your living. Um, those are the things that make the biggest difference when you when you want to save money. So you mentioned uh, creating that that budget, right? Yeah. And I and I think my wife and I put it together a budget a while ago, and uh, it was fairly simple, just because we use credit cards for everything. Uh-huh. So credit cards for everything, you have a paper trail right. and you can just go through the last few months of spending yeah. and find out where you're, where you're spending that money. Exactly. So do you remember where those other 
issues were that you were able to adjust without significant change in quality of life? Um, yeah. So yeah, food was a big one. Um, groceries, uh, you know, groceries. I love cooking and I love good ingredients <laughs> and I would spend way too much money, uh, grocery shopping. Um, and, uh, that was a hard thing to cut for me, but it actually, again, just, it's just finding the, um, more efficient ways of doing things, um, rather than cutting down on quality. Um, instead of shopping at Whole Foods, now I shop at Walmart. Um, but it's actually really good for me because Walmart has a pickup service and I have two toddlers. Um, so I can just order my food online and go park in a spot and somebody brings the groceries out to me and I don't have to take the kids out of the car seat. And, uh, and that's it. They just load up my car and off I go and it's like 10 minutes. Um, wow. Yeah. And it really, it cut my uh, weekly uh, grocery budget down from 200 or 300 to 80 to to $100, <laughs> you know, every week, um, which is insane. But we still like invest in um, good produce. I'll still uh, go to farmer's markets and we have a lot of farms uh, around where we live. So we buy a lot of our fresh produce from there. And um, there's actually also a milk delivery service, which is so awesome. I love it. Um, but it's, you know, so we get, we get good dairy as well. That sounds so rural. (laughs) (laughs) You have a milkman or a a milkman. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. (laughs) That's the best milk you've ever had. (laughs) So, I mean, your, your, your blog isn't a cooking blog, but since that is such a big ticket item and so important for really for health as well. For those who aren't so maybe not interested or they don't see themselves as so good at cooking, mm-hmm. uh, do you have any quick uh, tips for for people? Yeah. Okay. So um, the Instant Pot is a necessity. <laughs> is that – so we use a crock pot. We use, yeah. a, we use a slow cooker. Is, yeah. that, is that different? Yeah. It's So the crock pot – Um, it's kind of, it's a similar size and shape, the Instant Pot is, but the Crock-Pot only has one function, it slow cooks. Um, the Instant Pot can slow cook, but it can also fast cook, it can pressure cook. Um, and so it really cuts down on the cooking time. And it also has a saute function, so you can kind of brown whatever you need to brown and then put the liquids in and let it pressurize and cook in that. Um, and, uh, and it has a microprocessor, I think, so that it, um, actually uh, adjust the cooking time um, to what you put in it. And it has like, uh, so you say you're cooking chicken, you just throw chicken in there um, with whatever spices or some salsa or whatever and close it and just hit poultry and it'll come to pressure to what exactly what it needs. It'll time it um, and then it'll count down and it'll be done. It'll beep at you. And if you're not quite ready for it yet, it'll keep it warm um, until you open the, the pot. So you could just put something in there, you know, do whatever you need to do and come back to it and dinner's done. And it's pretty amazing. <laughs> I love it. See, now I want to go out and buy it, which is complete anathema to uh, what we're talking <laughs> about here, which is not buying more stuff. I know. Yeah, that really, it took me a little while. It took me several months of like thinking and like, do I really need this? And um, 
but I got to say that was definitely a value add in my life. Um, oh yeah. In the end, in the end, it's a, it's a it, it was a good, yeah. And you know, actually a really good way to track the price of something. And I've picked this up on choose if I, uh, podcast, it's camel, camel, camel.com. That's C-A-M-E-L camel, camel, camel.com. And you can, um, you can just plug in the Instapot and you can see where the price has been historically and where it is compared to that. So say it's like median right now versus like at the lowest it's ever been, you probably should buy it now, you know? <laughs> Another money saving tip from the frugal physician. Yes, sir. <laughs> I use it all the time for stuff like this where I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to kind of think on this. Um, so you can actually create an alert too. So you can just put that in and it'll email you when it le- reaches like a point where it's, you know, a good time to buy. Camel, camel, camel. Camel, camel, camel. That's it. We should be getting reimbursed for these plugs, really. I, I mean, know, Jim right? Dolly's gotten a bunch of plugs today. <laughs> camel, camel, camel's getting some plugs. <laughs> I know. I mean, it, these are things that made, you know, made a difference in my life. So I don't feel bad sharing them. <laughs> Yeah, then you feel less you feel less guilty about the purchase, right? There you, you go. Can, you can do it and you know you've gotten the best deal. So you're married, you mm-hmm. have two kids, mm-hmm. right? How did you get on the same page as your spouse? Because I think that is also a barrier to some people, right? Because what you might have is one spouse spends a lot more than the other. And so if you're the one who wants to be frugal, but the other person is spending, you might think, oh, screw it. They're spending. I'm just going to spend. Or you don't spend. And then it starts building some resentment. So first, did you guys start off on the same page? And if you didn't, how did you arrive there? Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. Um, Initially, uh, when I started working, I was uh, the primary earner, the sole earner. And my husband uh, decided to stay home and take care of our newborn, uh, which was such a huge thing for us. I mean, um, for our firstborn. But uh, it was really difficult on our marriage because I was doing all the earning and then I was doing all the money management. And I kind of felt alone in that. And uh, so what what really took was us sitting down and and dreaming together, talking about what do we want? You know, like what do we, what are our goals with our money? Like, where do we want to end up? Because when we, when, when I found myself in this place where I was really unhappy, we kind of sat down and we talked about it and, and, you know, and I said, you know, but five-year plan, 10-year plan, like, you know, I want to be, um, when I, uh, have made it, I want to be, I want to own a vineyard on a beach (laughs) and I want to have a jazz club in it (laughs) and I want to have a restaurant (laughs) and, uh, and that's my why, you know, that's what, that's where I want to end up. And for him, it's his why is a little different, but, um, but we had to come up with this, like, what are we going to do? He wants a brewery in the vineyard too, <laughs> which we're going to have to talk about. But, uh, but so we kind of came up with, okay, where do we want to be? What's our goal? Um, and then from that, you know, we, we went to, okay, how do we make that happen? Well, certainly we can't make it happen if we carry a lot of this debt and just live paycheck to paycheck. That's not going to happen. So. Um, so then we started the debt payoff 
thing, the debt snowball. Um, and, uh, and it was actually, the snowball was actually his idea. Uh, and uh, he had heard about it. So then we sat down with the spreadsheet. And really, the spreadsheet is kind of key because every month we sit down at the end of every month and um, sometimes he drags his feet. <laughs> we'll definitely say that. But we'll sit down and we'll go through our budget together and we'll go through our expected expenses. And, um, you know, a lot of times you catch things like, why did they charge us for that? Or why did that payment go up? You know, and we'll find um, things that we need to fix or make phone calls about and then cut that out. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and we, at the end of every month, kind of recenter on that dream, you know, recenter on look at how much progress we're making. Um, and this is amazing. And we're so proud of us, you know, and, and it brings us together. It's really important. So you have monthly meetings? Yeah. Call them budget dates. He loves that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So every month uh, on the 30th or 31st of every month, we uh, sit down with a glass of wine and, you know, and just uh, and go through the nitty gritty of the numbers. And uh, he doesn't have beer. Oh, yeah. He actually, no, he's (laughs) more of a bourbon guy. (laughs) There actually is a physician owned, or at least he started it, brewery on Long Island. No. Anesthesiologist. Yeah. It's called the Great South Bay Brewery. Okay. Favorite Long Island brewery. So the dream, the dream is possible. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I don't know about the jazz club in it, but uh, (laughs) that is is a a very real dream. So um, is is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? uh, Advice for becoming more frugal, getting past those misconceptions about what it takes to be more frugal. Um, Anything else that you think we didn't discuss today that we should? Yeah. The biggest thing I just wanted to share with uh, my colleagues uh, and uh, people listening is that it's just, it's just never, it's never too late. You can, um, if you make it a priority, get out of debt. It's completely possible. There are a lot of people out there talking about it. Um, there's a huge community of people uh, talking about getting out of debt and becoming financially independent. Um, and really, all what you have to do is kind of come up with your priorities. What's important to you? For me, my priority was my family, my time, and most, and finally, my freedom, my the freedom to be able to do what I want. Because once I was able to, once I'm able to get out of debt, I feel like I can finally more freely advocate for my patients, do what I think is right without having the fear of someone telling me uh, I might lose my job. You know, I want to be in that place where that's not an issue anymore, that I can be a better doctor because I am not in debt and I don't need my paycheck, you know, and I can do without it. Um, that's, that's kind of my goal. And I think that can free a lot of people from the unhappiness that medicine can sometimes bring. Um, and it really doesn't take all that much. You don't have to work a ton of shifts um, or lose time with your family. If you're willing to make just a few changes in your lifestyle, in your everyday habits, um, you can make some significant uh, progress. And do your best to shed yourself of the expectations of others and just figure out what's important to you 
Exactly. Irrespective of those people and try and meet those goals rather than those external pressures, which I think was a huge, huge point that you made earlier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You got to find what makes you happy. So uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more about batch cooking and camel, 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 <laughs> latest blog post, how you can find the most delicious yet frugally chosen wines? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's at www.thefrugalphysician.com or you can follow me at Twitter at Frugal Physician or on Facebook at The Frugal Physician. Well, Frugal Physician, I have to say, very informative. And um, thank you for coming on today. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That was Dr. Bradley Block at The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Find all previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and write us a review. You can also visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash physician's guide to doctoring. If you are interested in being a guest or have a question for a prior guest, send a message or post a comment.